David N. Mosser tells about an early date with his future spouse. He had noticed in the local newspaper that the play Waiting for Godot was being locally performed. I'm looking out to see how many of you might have seen Waiting for Godot. (laughs) It's Samuel Beckett's play. It's part tragedy and part comedy. The heroes are Vladimir and Estragon, and they converse while waiting for the arrival of this mysterious Godot. Well, Godot never appears, yet he continues, consistently sends word that he will soon arrive, but never does. And like many of us, Vladimir and Estragon are the characters who try to figure out why they are on earth. During their long wait, they offer guesses concerning their existence and hope that when Godot arrives, he will offer insight. And although they never grasp life's meaning, they nonetheless attempt to ferret it out through conversation with one another. Many people find the play tedious, but since Mosser had read it, he was curious to see how it would be staged his eventual wife thought the evening was a colossal waste of time. Well, it's Mosser's reflections that continue to guide us today. The play, Waiting for Godot, makes one anxious. Now, maybe none of you have ever been anxious, so let me define the word for you. It might be best described as the state of people when they are nervous, worried, uneasy, or apprehensive. And the gospel lesson, the raising of Lazarus, has this effect. As you listen to the story over here, did you too feel the tension about Jesus' overdue arrival at Bethany? A maddening thing about John's story is Jesus' apparent nonchalance about going to Bethany. It's like watching that play, Waiting for Godot. You wait and you wait and you wait and you just keep waiting. Those who read John's story, this narrative this morning, keep speculating, what's wrong with Jesus? Why is it taking him so long to get into high gear This waiting on Jesus creates anxiety. We readers want him to accelerate his pace because it makes us anxious. Now, I believe that you do know a thing or two about anxiety. We talk about our our anxieties with one another. And much of our prayer lives may be focused on those things that give us worry or make us anxious. If we were an average person, 40% of our anxiety would be focused on things that never happen. 40%. Next highest, 30% of our anxiety is focused on things about the past that cannot be changed. That's 70%. 12% is focused on criticism by others, which is mostly untrue. 10% is focused on health, which gets worse with stress and anxiety. 
That's 92%. Even Thomas Jefferson was enough of a psychologist to observe how much have cost us the evils that have never happened. History is full of stories that, res- that talk about the anxiety of people. So what's the other 8%? It's focused on real problems that will be faced. 8%. Well, today in the story of Lazarus, we, we face death. Death is one of those things that will be faced. Our thoughts and fears about death may change throughout our lives, but it's always a part of our lives. If we see God as a God of judgment only... One who will judge us in the afterlife for every sin we commit in this life. Well, then we have reason to fear death. We have reason to try to get younger instead of older. Reason to try to extend our lives by medicine or by eating well or whatever measure possible. Not a few Christians fear death. Popular these days is a book called 90 Minutes in Heaven by and about Don Piper. Piper was killed in an automobile accident and then came back to life 90 minutes later. In the book, he describes his recollections of those 90 minutes, the gate and heaven, the sounds of the wings above him. The music that was grander than any he had ever heard. How the feeling and seeing those souls, being able to recognize the souls of people he knew, was so warm and wonderful and overwhelming that he didn't want to come back. And yet he did. This book has given comfort and reassurance to many for whom the unknown aspects of death overpower the teachings of Christianity. The teachings of Christ that the God who created and loves us also wants to spend eternity with us. 90 Minutes in Heaven reminds us that Mary and Martha and any who grieve another's death have a much more difficult row to hoe than do those who die. Because we've heard the story of Lazarus, probably time and again, we know from the beginning that his death is imminent. We know that no amount of love and prayers is going to make the grim reaper do a U-turn. We also know that Lazarus will be raised. And yet there's still that anxiety about what makes Jesus prolong his arrival. One of the greatest problems for many of us is living between life's urgencies and their resolutions. There's a story about one of Napoleon's generals, Masena, who appeared with 18,000 soldiers before an Austrian town that had no means of defending itself. The town council gathered 
certain that capitulation was the only answer. And while they were gathered, the old dean of the church reminded the council that it was Easter and begged them to hold services as usual and leave the trouble in God's hands. They took his advice. The church bells announced the service. Napoleon's soldiers heard the church bells ring and concluded that the Austrian army had come to rescue the town. They broke camp. And before the bells had ceased ringing, the French army had vanished. We never know what may happen in a given situation. Faith enters here. Faith trusts and believes that God reconciles all things. And John's gospel suggests this by Jesus' phrase, My hour has not yet come. He says this early, chapter 2 in John. This implies that the time is not yet right for revealing Jesus and his full identity. The revelation will occur, but only when God's time becomes our time. We have difficulty living between those moments of urgency And resolution, that gap, makes us anxious. So for Martha and Mary, Jesus' assurance is that he is the resurrection and the life. Not he will be the resurrection and the life. This promise is one they can count on because they know Jesus and they trust him. God empowers Jesus to raise Lazarus not so much to resurrect the man as to show people who Jesus is. Now, if you're like me, I would prefer that when Jesus hears about Lazarus that he snap his fingers and go right over, you know, heal him from a distance like he did in other stories. Make something happen. Don't just stand there. And yet, like those in Bethany, we must allow God to work through time, through pain, and even through our own limited understanding to bring about resurrection. This story gives us so much time to stew because in this account of Jesus and Lazarus, God indicates to us how much we need God. The title of the story is called The Raising of Lazarus, but in Mosser's terms, he says we could just as easily call it waiting for Jesus or even waiting for God. This waiting is never easy. And maybe we'll always be anxious about it. We do believe that God acts. We don't know when or we don't know how. And yet we each have those stories that we can go back to And say, you know, something wouldn't have turned out a certain way if God had not been involved. That mystery is too far beyond our comprehension. We can confess some things that we believe in God, that we believe God acts, and that we trust that God will accompany us through every 
crest and trough of our lives. But the other stuff, what God will do, we just have to wait. Now, while we wait, we can develop a strategy for addressing our anxiety. Charles Spurgeon suggested one way to deal with human worry. He told of how in 480 B.C., the outmanned army of Sparta's King Leonidas held off the Persian troops of Xerxes by fighting them one at a time as they came through a narrow mountain pass. Commenting on the strategy, Spurgeon said, Suppose Leonidas and his handful of men had gone out into the wide open plain and attacked the Persians. Why, they would have died at once, even though they might have fought like lions. Spurgeon continued by saying that Christians stand in today's narrow pass. If Christians choose to battle every difficulty at the same time, they're certain to suffer defeat. We are certain to suffer defeat. But if we trust God and take our troubles one by one, we'll find that our strength through God is sufficient. David Mosser says that Jesus took his time to get to Lazarus' tomb for one reason, the reason that he states at the beginning of the story. This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. It may make us anxious, but it is God's power that saves. We see that in God's own time. After Jesus' pronouncement about being the resurrection and the life, Jesus asked Martha, Do you believe this? Straight up question. Maybe you can think of some questions you'd rather not answer that. (laughs) Answer yes or no to. Do you believe this? What would be your response if Jesus asked you that question? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe that death is not to be feared? And if so, does it make a difference in your daily life? What difference would that make? That death is not to be feared. Before I attended seminary, when I was a normal person... I was involved in a weekly Bible study with another single woman named Sid Mazel. Some of you have been, have heard her name recently and have been praying for Sid. She was the epitome of an attractive Christian, and I don't mean her face. She was loving, she was compassionate, she was joyful, she was intelligent, she was questioning, Now, most of that group I've lost touch with, but my former roommate has kept up with some of them. And it was Nancy who emailed the news of Sid's abduction in Afghanistan in late January. Sid had been working near Kandahar for three years, had learned the language, dressed in a burqa, 
really had gotten herself into that culture so that she could help the women of that society to learn and to better themselves. Sid and her family knew that she was taking a great risk in going there. And yet her compassion and her desire to offer Christ's love to these women overrode her fears and doubts. Sid's death was reported last week. And while I grieve, especially for her parents, I know that Sid knew that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that motivated her to give her life away with deep joy and deep peace. Not without sacrifice, not without suffering, but with deep joy and peace. Carry with you this week that phrase of Jesus, that sentence, that pronouncement that he is the resurrection and the life. It's on your bulletin if you want to carry that with you. It's our guiding quote for the day. Throw it in the passenger seat of your car. Tape it on your bathroom mirror. Do something to remind yourself to reflect on this idea through the week and see if it makes a difference to your daily life. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And let that pronouncement embrace you as do the waters of baptism. Let it wash away the anxieties about what will not happen and what cannot be changed. Let it direct your attention to Jesus as your friend, as your caretaker, as your Savior. Not just in the resurrection, in the last days, but every day of your life. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we cannot comprehend resurrection And yet each day that we come out of our sleep, we are alive again to a new day. Would you guide us then as we commit each day to you? For you have given us new life, and you are new life. Guide us to give that to others in your holy name. Amen.